welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Message I believe is going to be one that really helps us understand the holiness and just the sanctity and the reverence of God. We're going to be looking at in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, about what we call the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is where God's presence remains in the tabernacle. So you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25 verses 10 through 22. And what we see here, I want to give you some background information on what's going on to lead up to this. Here in Exodus chapter 25, God has given His Ten Commandments, and then He gives some instructions and rules on how to live for how to worship, as well as how to live. But some of so much about how to worship is the location of the worship. If you remember, in the Old Testament, the people worshipped in the tabernacle. What is a tabernacle? A tabernacle predated the temple. The tabernacle is a moving sanctuary. It's a tent. It's also called the tent of the meeting. So they would set up, it's out in the middle of the desert, and they had specific rules that they would have to follow. And when, as Israel would move, you know, many t- ways they would stay in a location, because remember, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. So they were usually somewhere for several years. They didn't move every, you know, we were here a week, here a week. It wasn't like that. They would move, stay there for a few months, a few years, then move again. So they would take some time to set up and to uh, take down the tabernacle because there were many rules that they had to follow. But they would, they would worship in the tabernacle all the way up into the point of, remember, eventually the ark got moved to Jerusalem. The tabernacle was there when they got into the promised land. But here, but here it's on the move. And we're going to see the requirements of this. What happened after the tabernacle came the temple. The temple was right there in Jerusalem. It had to be built in a specific location. And then it was obviously destroyed because of Israel's disobedience. And after the temple, and that's where the Jewish people today, what we would call the Western Wall, also known as the Wailing Wall, they would go there and um, write their prayers and touch the wall and pray over it. Now today, we have moved from tabernacle to temple, and now we worship in the church. The church is the continuation of God's holy place of worship. And that's what we're going to see inside this tabernacle. We see this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. The covenant is God's promise. It's God's Ten Commandments. It's God's agreement with His people. He has chosen the Israelites, He has chosen His people, and He has made a commitment to them. You know, there's many types of covenants. There's a covenant of marriage. That's why it's wrong to get divorced. When you're you're making an agreement with a a person of the opposite sex, that's why I don't believe same-sex marriage is not even real marriage. By definition, a marriage is between one man and one woman. That's it. So when someone says they're married and it's two men or two women... The state might recognize that, but God does not recognize that. A marriage is a covenant. 
We see that in the Bible. It's an agreement. And throughout the uh, Bibles, we see different types of covenant. Another type of covenant, if it rains really hard, a rainbow comes out. A rainbow is not to promote homosexuality whatsoever. The purpose of a rainbow, it came from Noah to remind all of us that many, many years ago, Noah and his family, all eight of them, were saved on an, on an ark because of the wickedness of the world. And a flood destroyed the people. And when they came out of that, they, they, God or the, Noah and his family, they offered up a sacrifice, and there was a bow, a rainbow in the sky, reminding Noah about that. And the Bible says every time you see the rainbow, you should be reminded that never again will God destroy the earth through a flood. It might get rainy one day, but it will never be destroyed by flood. The way the earth will be destroyed is God will actually end uh, natural disaster and climate change and global warming is not going to destroy the earth. Even though you might be told that, we know in the Bible that's not the case because of the promise of the rainbow. God will destroy the earth at the end of the world. It, Jesus tells us that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word, my word is his Bible, it will never pass away. So we see that, the Bible describes that as a covenant. God also made a covenant with Abraham that he would bless his people. Jesus was Jewish. He comes from the lineage of Abraham. He's part of that blessing. We receive that blessing as well because we have been saved by a Jewish man who died on the cross for us. So we, as Christians, are extended the blessing that was originally given as a covenant to Abraham. The lineage just comes down the line through us being saved. So then we get here to the place where he's gonna, God is going to dwell among his people. And what's happening here, this is what the law did. In the Old Testament, you had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God appeared directly to these men and spoke to them. I mean, with Abraham, he spoke to him personally. And then we come into, uh, we have a period of about 400 years of somewhat silence while Joseph has led his family into Egypt and they're in slavery. Then God raises up a man named Moses who is um, an Israelite who was there in slavery, but he was raised in Pharaoh's house, has a unique beginning. He was saved from the Nile River. And Moses is called by God to be a great prophet who's going to lead the people out of slavery, and Moses receives the law. The purpose of the tabernacle in the ark is no longer is God, because remember, the people are multiplying at this point. So you no longer have just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You have, at that point, the Israelite clan, Abraham's family, was small. It was less than 100 folks. I mean, even when Jacob brought all of his family down to Egypt, it was only 75 people. The time of Jacob, the Israelites, were, they were small. It was just a big family is all it was. It was not a massive army that we see. Basically, in Egypt, in that far away land, while they were in slavery, is also when the Lord built up his people. And I think what's important about this, at least numerically, many times when we're in a faraway land, 
when we're out of our comfort zone, maybe out of our community we grew up in, we're in Lexington, but we're not, we're from Eastern Kentucky, but we're away from Mama's house, that's when God actually grows our faith. And a lot of folks are here in Lexington, it might not be your hometown, but God has you here for a purpose, and it's to grow your faith. That's what happened to the Israelites in Egypt. They increased numerically, and God raised up Moses from among them so they would uh, begin the, the journey to the promised land. So the tabernacle it is going to replace. So understand how God speaks to his people. God speaks in the Old Testament with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob face to face. He literally just spoke to him, told him what to do. We get, he, also Moses would be in that category. He spoke to Moses face to face. But then starting with, with this tabernacle, God would speak with his presence through the ark. He would raise up prophets. He might not speak to every single uh, Israelite out there. In fact, he wouldn't speak. He would raise up prophets. He would uh, use uh, men to speak to the, his different kings. Then we get to the New Testament, and we see God raised up, or Jesus was born into the world. God, Jesus speaks, to, speaks truth on behalf of the Lord, and then he sent his Holy Spirit at Pentecost as the continuing presence. So we see how does God speak to us, Old Testament, face to face, then through the tabernacle, through temple worship, through the prophets, then we see through Jesus, and now through the Holy Spirit. We are in the Holy Spirit church age. That's the age we're in. God works through his church. The church is the ta extension of the tabernacle, of the temple, of the place of holy worship. So there's a sanctity, a reverence, in coming into a place of worship such as this. But we're going to see the most important part of the uh, tabernacle is considered the ark. So that's what we're going to pick up. Before we read it, I have a picture up here. So let's take a look. We have a picture of what the ark looks, at, looks like. So this is where we're going. Okay, in a minute the picture will come up here a little bit. So we'll look at it in a second. Oh, there we go. All right, here's our picture. This it's actually not that big. This is the ark. If you touched the ark, you died. Now, obviously, when it was being built, it was, you could touch it, but um, you, it had to be moved on poles. And I'm going to show you an example in a little bit where one time an ox stumbled, and a man reached out his hand, Yuza, and he touched it. He died, right? Johnny on the spot. But that there at the top, the, the lid is called the mercy seat. That's the presence of the Lord. And those are called seraphim. They, these are um, angels. They're powerful angels. Seraphim are angels that live in heaven. Seraphim don't fly around down here on earth. They are in the presence of the Lord. And inside this ark, there's three items. There's only three things inside the ark. First of all, there's the Ten Commandments. That was given... Moses they are inside there second after that we see Aaron his his staff or his rod it budded and then because it budded God performed a miracle with Aaron they put Aaron's rod his staff inside the ark and also there's a jar of manna inside there you would think what could be in the ark you know, those are some odd things but that's who God has chosen and if that's what God wants in his ark We'll put it in the ark. A jar of manna is bread from heaven. It, manna does not exist at Kroger. 
Manna, we do not exactly know what it is. It came directly from God. He provided it every morning, except for Saturday, the Sabbath. He provided a double portion on Friday, so they would have enough to make it through the Sabbath. Six days a week, he provided the manna. And to, to remember what God did by feeding his people bread from heaven, he said, you're going to put some in a jar, and we're going to put it in the ark. So we're, we're walking around carrying Aaron's staff that budded, the Ten Commandments, and a jar of manna. And God's presence rests on that ark. It is made of pure gold. It is only to be approached one time a year. And that's what we call the Day of Atonement that we find in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 15 and 16 is the Day of Atonement. Leviticus is what we call in the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur. It's in September. I believe well, about six, seven weeks ago on Wednesday night we talked about it. If you remember our Wednesday night Bible study. Yom Kippur is one time a year the priests would enter into the presence of the Holy of Holies inside of this uh, tabernacle, tent of meeting. And they, they would offer an atonement sacrifice to the Lord. Only one time a year. And God would accept the sacrifice and forgive the Israelites, of their sins. The only other time they could see the ark was when the Kohathites, a group of people, were, and it was time to move. So if you were moving to a new location, then they were able to see it. But even then, they still were to leave a tent over it when they moved. So it wasn't something the common person would see. It's just not out in the rain and maybe... Bird uses the bathroom over it. It was something that there was a reverence with this ark. Very, very few people actually saw the actual ark. It was one of great respect. Only a handful of people would ever see it. There was a mystery with it. Many, in many ways, these words we're going to read, this is all the people would know about it. Because they, they didn't have pictures back then. There wasn't cameras. There was no video camera of it. So you, they would read these same words here. We're going to read. And that's the description of what they knew. So let's read these words here about the Ark of the Covenant. Exodus chapter 25, verse 10. They are to make an Ark of Acadia wood. 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. You see, that's small. That's really not, that's not that big. And it says here, in 27 inches high, overlay it with pure gold, overlay it both inside and out. Also make gold molding all around it. Cast four gold rings for it and place them on its four feet. Two rings on one side and two rings on the other side. So it's a wooden ark and then all around it they put lots of gold. And then it says, make poles of Acadia wood and overlay them with gold. So even the poles had gold on them. The poles are to remain in the rings of the ark. They must not be removed from it. Put the tables of the testimony that I will give you into the ark. That is the Ten Commandments. The tables of the testimony are God's Ten Commandments. That is His covenant with His people. One of the ways the Israelites were known to be set apart for God was if they observed the law. 
They followed the Ten Commandments. That's what many ways when you go to a justice center, if you go up to Washington, D.C., you will see um, inscriptions of the Ten Commandments. I remember when I was a young man, I worked at a grocery store. Uh, our son, Daniel Jr., works at a grocery store, and I, I worked at one that went out of business now. It's called Dell Champs back in Hoover, Alabama, and I would sometimes get assigned to do dairy. That was freezing. So you would go back there, and went, which meant you unloaded milk. Milk comes in a milk crate. Four gallons of milk per milk crate. And you would unload it, and on the milk crate, it said, every, and I guess you know, this is Alabama, thou shalt not steal. Not, not referring to the milk, referring to the milk crate. Because those crates, a milk crate is thick plastic. I'm sure it costs some companies some money to build a milk crate. And I'm sure it's easy for them to vanish and disappear. Because everybody has a use for a milk crate somewhere around your house, in your garden, and you want to use it. And say, oh, this is just a milk crate. They, would re they reuse those over and over and over again. So I guess they were disappearing. And they were reminding folks of the Eighth Commandment, which is, Thou shalt not steal. And that, that commandment, Thou shalt not steal, is in the Ark of the Covenant. It says here, Put the tablets of the testimony that I will give you into the ark. Make a mercy seat of pure gold, 45 inches long and 27 inches high. That's a lid. That's, that's the seat there, the very top of the ark. And then here come these angels. Let's, let's, go, back, let's go back to our picture here that we were looking at. I believe this picture, the one, only thing I see wrong with it was the poles are supposed to be... we have a photo up there? Anyway, if it shows up here in a minute, we'll, we'll take a look. The poles are supposed to be solid gold. So everything about the ark, there it is. See, those, those are wooden poles. In the Bible, it says they're supposed to be golden poles. Everything else is accurate about this one, except for the poles. That's Acadia wood, plus it's supposed to have gold poles around it. And it's supposed to have four feet. So it's a rectangular box. This is what it looks like. The mercy seat is the lid. And then here, these, these creatures here on top, it says, make two cherubim of gold. Make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. At its two ends, make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat. Meaning, if you go back to that picture, we're going to keep going back to that photo there. If you go back to that photo there, what it meant is the 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 cherubim were actually attached to the lid, the mercy seat. The mercy seat is the lid. So the way to put the manna, the Ten Commandments, and Aaron's staff that budded is you would have to lift up the cherubim, you lift it up, and then you set the items inside. It's all one piece, and it's just sitting there on top. That, that's, what, that's what we're looking at there. And it goes on to say here, the verse 20 the cherubim are to have wings that spread out above covering the mercy seat with their wings and are to face one another the faces of the cherubim should be toward the mercy seat set the mercy seat on top of the ark and put the tables of the testimony that i give you into the ark i will meet you i will meet with you there above the mercy seat so if you go back if you go back to our picture up here, God is saying, 
on top of the mercy seat, between the wings of the cherubim, that is where he meets and speaks with his people. So understand, the, the, the reverence of this, this ark is the Lord is there on top in the middle between those wings. He's saying, when, I, when you come and offer your yearly sacrifice to me, I will speak to you right there. I will forgive you right there. I think what's powerful about that is this isn't just about God is so specific about where he lives, the importance of this, and not only that, how he says exactly, I will be on top of the mercy seat. Many of us look at that picture and go, why don't we just call it a lid? I mean, that's the lid. That's the top. No. It's a mercy seat. Because God isn't a lid. He extends mercy. What is mercy? It's forgiveness. It's giving someone they do not... It's people who do not deserve something. He's telling His people that here, when you see this, you're seeing that mercy seat. You don't deserve atonement, forgiveness, reconciliation. But because I'm a merciful Lord, I extend it to you. That is what we see with the picture of the ark. This ark is incredibly holy. Most people throughout world history, before cameras and pictures, folks, all they would know about this is what they would read here. Because people didn't see it with their own eyes. You weren't allowed to. This was not like some museum piece you would walk by and take a look at. There's a complete secrecy and reverence of this. Because you say, why, Pastor? Why didn't God want people to see the ark casually? Because they would make it an idol. This is not an idol. This is saying this is a place of forgiveness and mercy. This is a reminder of the law and the holiness of who I am as your God. All right, keep going here in your Bible. Verse 22. I will meet you there above the mercy seat, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony. I will speak with you from there about all I command you regarding the Israelite. God is telling us that it is at this location exactly that I meet with my people. This is also why Christian worship is so important. I'm, I'm glad and fortunate we have internet people right now worshiping with us. But when, in, in biblical worship, it's so important. This is how I believe the devil hurt churches and really changed the doctrine of worship for many Christians. Worship involves being present. God, let's, let's go back. I know, I'm going to drive over. Let's go back to our picture up there. We're going to have like a push button there. God is telling his people, <clears throat> I will meet with you. Not over there in the woods. Not on the internet. I will meet with you there. That's where I'm going to be. I'm going to come speak to you about everything I have commanded the people. God is saying worship involves being present. Coming to the tabernacle. Coming to the temple. Coming to getting saved by Jesus. And coming to church involves you actually doing something. 
Folks, we love online worship, and yes, it's very convenient. And if you're physically not able to come to church, that's great for you. You watch David Jeremiah on TV. They need a a preacher down at um, Sayre Christian Village to do that. Those folks aren't able to physically come. But God will hold us accountable. If we're physically able to drive to the grocery store and the beauty salon and school and the bank, you can drive to church. I mean, you can do it. And God is saying, my people were expected to come worship me at the mercy seat in the presence of the Lord. And church is the same way. We will always have internet church until it gets shut down. I can't always say always. Who knows? I don't know what the future holds. Churches might get banned from the internet one day. Who knows? Uh, but there is a, Jesus made a statement where two or three believers gather together there I am amidst them. I'm with you. Meaning, there is an importance of actually coming, bringing your family, bringing yourself, and coming into the presence of God. And that's what the Lord is looking for here. He's calling His people to come and worship Him. It's not one of convenience if I feel like it. It's one of a command and expectation from the Lord with that. Flip over here in your Bible to the book of Numbers, chapter 4. Numbers chapter 4, verse 15. Because understanding the ark, as we read about it here, we need to see that this is something that the Lord gives us very specific directions on how to follow. Here with the ark, this is an a, a, um, item that not just anyone can touch. And there's a holiness of the ark. The ark, when I say the word holy, remember, holy means set apart. That means sinful people, people who have sin, unconfessed sin in their life, they are not to approach the Lord and casually touch the ark. And just like a worship service here, it's holy, it's set apart for God. Even though you might not like a certain type of music, even though you might have your preferences, even though things might be different, anytime the Word of God is sung as well as preached, The Lord, you are proclaiming His Word, the presence of the Lord. That's why church is not a place to give your opinion or give a news report or talk about how being a good citizen here in Lexington or just to help the community, whatever that means. We help the community by leading people to Christ. Only Jesus can change our community. Only a transformed life can change our out-of-control murder rate here in our city, our drug problem. And just the rampant homelessness all around us. And the Lord is telling us, I am holy and reverent, and I want my people to see the importance of this. All right, look here at verse 15. This is how it's to be transported. There's these people, an ancestral uh, uh, group, a clan. They're part of the Levites. They're called the Kohathites. It's kind of like a subgroup, a smaller group of the Levites. They're the folks that would transport the ark. When it was time to move, when it was time for the tabernacle to go down the, not down the road, but down the desert a little bit, these people would be the ones to transport it. Verse 15, Aaron and his sons are to finish covering the holy objects and all their equipment whenever the camp is to move on. So, Aaron here, he's a priest. He is um, from the tribe of, he's a Levite. 
and his sons, they are the ones that are to help build this, not anybody's to build the ark. There's a, a sanctity of this. And not only that, they also are to finish covering the holy objects. Meaning that they're putting their gold around there. And it's time to move on. It says, the Kohathites will come and carry them. But they're not to touch the holy objects or they will die. These are the transportation duties of the Kohathites regarding the tent of meeting. The Ark of the Covenant is considered a holy object. It's set apart for the Lord. And that, that means if they do this, they will die. Um, many times when churches build their sanctuary, they don't just get anybody to build their sanctuary. Because they, you see here in the construction of the Ark and the holy objects, they wanted the right people to build the right things. So many times when it comes to construction, particularly of a sanctuary, you just don't go find some general contractor who just brings in whatever type people to build a church. They want to find a Christian contractor of, of, Christian, um, of Christian workers. I share this story because one time I was talking to a fellow pastor and they were building a new sanctuary. And There's always such excitement when church builds a new sanctuary. We see that Old Testament happens today. Has anybody here ever been part of a church that built, not a fellowship hall, not an education building, not, not an addition, but the actual sanctuary? Anybody been part of a sanctuary being built? Okay, good, about three or four of you. So that is very exciting for a church to go through the building of a sanctuary. This is when our sanctuary is built. As one pastor says, their church, God had led them to this location. They needed a bigger space. And God had opened a door for a perfect location for their new sanctuary. And they were building their sanctuary. And um, you know, he, he recognized the holiness of it. How it's just not any old building. This isn't just some regular home or school building or business. This is a place going to be of worship. And he went in one day just to see how construction was coming along. And these guys are about, he said, the general area where they were going to put the altar. And they're standing there smoking. And he walks up to him and says, guys, you know, if you want to smoke, that's fine. I mean, that's up to you and the Lord, whatever you want to do. But I want you to know about that area you are standing is in a few months, I will be standing there preaching the word of God. And you're standing here smoking. He said, even though it might not look holy right now, but probably in a few months when this whole building is covered, you would never stand at the altar, at the pulpit, and smoke a cigarette. You just don't realize it, but you're doing right there. I was going to see if you could go outside. And I think about that, and I commend that pastor for doing that. Because what happened, what those men saw is very casual. They just saw this is some land, this is some two-by-fours, we're building a building here. That pastor recognized one day this will be a place of worship and salvation a place of folks coming to faith in Christ, and they'll be putting their cigarettes, they'll be turning them over to the Lord. That's what we see here in the Bible. Only Aaron and his family, those that were set apart for the Lord, only they could build this. They didn't just find any old laborer from the yellow pages. They wanted folks that had, the, they wanted the right people to build what God wanted that's why it's so important that you want pastors, Sunday school teachers, leaders in our church who are the right people.
people who have a reverence and a love for the Lord. They recognize the sanctity of this sanctuary. Think how many people, I, I think this building's built in 1993, I believe, 92, 93. Think how many folks have been saved here. Think how many people have preached the gospel boldly from this pulpit. Think how many people came in here with problems and they met a, they met a risen Savior who redeemed them of their sin. That's because you're coming to meet with God in a holy place. That is the Ark of the Covenant. Flip over here in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 6. I want to show you this will be our last scripture for this evening. 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is about David. David wants to move the ark. David was a great warrior. He was also a man who had bloody hands. Meaning, God would not allow him to build the temple. Right now, the ark had been in a temporary home. David moved it to Jerusalem. But it actually had to go to a few other places before it made it to Jerusalem. And then David wanted to build a permanent home for the ark. That's what the temple is. It's a permanent tabernacle with the purpose of the ark being there. The problem is David had killed a lot of folks. And God says, I, I don't want someone with, with your blood on your hands, David. Even though you're faithful, I want your son Solomon. He's going to build the ark. So what happens here is we see what David does and he recognizes, he's reminded of how important this activity he's about to do. There's not a casualness of moving the ark and preparing a permanent home for it. 2 Samuel 6.6 6. They're, they're guiding the ark and they're moving it up. And it says here, verse 6, When they came to Nacom's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. You know, you think about that, and we would be right there too. You're, you're moving the ark. You know you're not supposed to touch it. Or hopefully you know you're not supposed to touch it. But then all of a sudden, it's like a reaction you're moving the ark, and the, the animal falls. So you're thinking, oh no, I don't want this beautiful ark of God to fall on the ground and possibly break. So it, it starts to stumble the oxen. So he, 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 he just, you know, he leaned up against it, he propped himself up, he touched it. That's a no-no. And I think what's, I think here's, don't miss this point. There's the message in this passage. In his mind, think about it. Brother Hurt, he's doing the right thing. He's saving the ark. He does not want that holy, godly piece of furniture that was built many centuries before by Moses and Aaron, appointed to the Lord, the Holy of Holies, to fall on the ground because the oxen stumbled. But he reached out his hand or prepped up his body to try to prevent it, and he died. He thought he was doing a good deed, and God punished him for that. God cares more about our obedience 
than our intentions and our motives. Let me illustrate this for today. Have you ever heard the phrase, a white lie? Or you're doing something to protect, you know what you're doing is wrong, but you're actually doing it in your mind to protect someone else. We don't see white lies acceptable to the Lord. We don't see how God affirms doing something wrong with a greater purpose that you know better of doing something right long term. If God didn't want the ark to fall, that thing could have fallen off Mount Everest and it would not break. God did not need Yuza to stick his arm out to keep the ark in Jim Mint condition. That was not God's goal. God's purpose of the ark, if you remember back in, 20, in chapter 22, or chapter 25, verse 22, was to actually teach the people their commands. And one of those commands is to worship the Lord, not make an idol. When you view the ark as an idol, you feel like, oh, it can't touch the ground. You've missed it. Once you start to break God's law to protect the ark, you've made the ark the very thing it's not supposed to be by protecting it. So uses in his mind, is doing a good deed for the Lord. And God judges and punishes him for it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Yuzah. And God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence. Wow, Sherry, if we had a misbehaving child, they'd fall down dead for misbehaving in church. All our children be dead. So there you go. What does that say about us? But that is what, look at this. Look at that word here. Have you ever heard of an irreverent person at church? A casualness? This man died on the spot. Because he was irreverent to the Lord. Church is not a place of eating candy, chips, hot dogs, hamburgers. I mean, this is not. I mean, we might bring a propel in here, but some of what it's just this is a holy, sanctified place for the Lord. Irreverence is wrong. And it says it right here, God struck him down. There's an attitude of worship in the presence of the Lord when you come into his sanctuary. And it goes on to say here, he died there next to the ark of God. I just want to picture this. Let's go back to our picture there. We're looking at the ark here. David feels like he's doing a good deed. Uses move, we're moving along. And there's a dead body laying right next to it. That's the picture. He says, literally, he didn't die over there, church. He died right next to it. You've got the ark right there. You've got the dead corpse right there. I mean, he just fell down and died. God killed him right there for being irreverent to God. He says, Yuza, you knew not to touch that. I don't care if the ark falls. So what if it stumbles? I can keep my ark. If I want to make it rebuild, if it cracks, I can restore a crack. He's God. God is looking for folks who are obedient to him. He goes on here. So David, so he's got a dead body now next to the ark. I guess the oxen it gets up. And it says, David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Yusuf. Don't miss this. David got angry at God and said, 
or, or he goes on to say, so he named that place Outburst against Yuza. And if you see the footnote in your Bible, that says Perza Yuza. That's the name of this city as it is today. So they named it as a memorial to this man who died because of the Lord's outburst. Now, David's mad at God because God immediately judged him. But look what it says here. This is why God does this. Verse 9, David feared the Lord that day. Maybe David had become casual. Maybe folks had just begun to view the ark as just something else that you got to do, just going through the motions. It said David began to fear the Lord that day. Not yesterday, but that day he feared the Lord. There was a reverence that even David, the king, needed to experience. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Meaning, I'm not even worthy to be in his presence. This poor man was doing a good deed and he died. So he was not willing to bring the ark of the Lord to the city of David. Instead, he diverted it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained in his house three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his whole family. So now this man, he's storing in his house from some back room. David was so scared to death of bringing it. He would not allow it to go in Jerusalem. It's staying in a man's house and it stayed there. Now what do we see here with the entire uh, picture of the ark? God's ark, eventually it does make it to Jerusalem, but eventually it is destroyed when the Babylonians destroy it. Most likely what happened to the ark, it burned when the Babylonians, that this is how Esther and Daniel, Nehemiah, Ezra, how they all got captured and went into exile, when the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, came over there and wiped them out. They burned the temple, destroyed the city, and the ark also died then. The ark... God, I believe, allowed it to be destroyed to show to folks, folks, the ark, it's not a permanent place of worship. It was a temporary reminder because God knew it wasn't going to last. God knew it would eventually be destroyed. And God also knew Jesus would be the true covenant that we are saved. We no longer have to come to the mercy seat. We no longer go between the cherubim. We go to Christ and He extends mercy to us. What we should get from this story about the ark, Broadway Baptist Church, or any, any Bible-believing church, not just our church, any Bible-believing church, is a set-apart, holy place of worship. It's not one that we should be irreverent to. There should be a great respect in coming into God's house. You come into this place with a sense of respect, an attitude of worship, a sense of, Lord, speak to me. I am a sinner. I have wronged you. Lord, I have, I'm a man of unclean lips. I have blood on my hands. Lord, I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. And God extends that in church. That's why the best place for us to be is in God's house. That's why God tells the people, I will meet you at the ark. And that's why he tells us today in the book of Hebrews, I expect my people to be faithful in meeting with me in the presence of of the Lord. I want to lead us in a prayer. God, we pray we take these words here this evening and we seal them in our hearts. You call us to meet in your presence. It's no accident that we see Yuza dying, dropped dead right there. It reminds us that we should have a great fear, a great respect for you.
God, I pray these words. We will take them and seal them in our hearts and that we will, uh, we will use this as our time, our period of personal reflection and say, Lord, have I developed an irreverent spirit? God, if anyone here has become irreverent, unholy towards you, Lord, we ask, we beg, we pray that they will confess that sin and say, Lord, don't let me be like Yuza. Let me be like David, who then, at that point, realized he needed to begin with a great fear of you. Maybe we've lost that fear. We want to recapture it, regain it this evening. God, I pray this invitation, this service, we give it to you. We pray for those who respond to be faithful in calling out the called and giving our hearts, our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to have our invitation. David's going to lead us in our song. I'll invite everyone to stand. You can make a decision tonight. I'll be staying down front. You come forward and respond.